0: Welcome to the weekend message from Mariner's Church, Mission Viejo campus. Whether you're listening across the street or across the globe, we hope you'll find encouragement for your daily life through this podcast. All right. Hi. Good morning, everybody. Uh, Morning. My name's Mike, and there are a lot of you. Um, So it's great. We... uh, (laughs) We thought it would be a little lighter today because it's Labor Day weekend, but nope, you are laboring in a good way here, so we're excited. Um, A couple of things, just before we start, take a Bible out, we're going to Genesis 28, that would be thing number one. Thing number two is, I want to let you know, next weekend, uh, Kenton will be speaking to the whole church. Uh, He's coming back from his summer break, and so he does typically kind of a, hey, here's what I learned, a vision message so uh that'll be on video here i'll be up uh, at the at the uh, Irvine campus as part of that um, so if you see somebody up there who is a little better looking than Kenton be sure on stage you'll know um it's it's me uh so it'll be very exciting uh and then and then the week after we're going to start a, a fall series called why Jesus hates religion and people people are kind of like like they think Jesus founded a religion, and I, I grew up thinking that too. It's like Christianity, Hinduism, um, you know, Islam, those are all in the same category. And when you, when you really dig into the Gospels, one of the things that you find is that Jesus, of all the people who were antagonistic to him, the one group that had the most hostility were the religious folks, the guardians of religious tradition. And Jesus has some pretty indicting things. The harshest things he says aren't to prostitutes, aren't to addicts, aren't to sinners, but they're to the religious leadership of Israel. When he's calling them blind guides, children of snakes, whitewashed tombs. Like, I didn't learn about this with the flannel Jesus, you know, that you get in Sunday school. That Jesus every now and again... Uh, got pretty, pretty uh, angry with what he saw as empty religiousness. And so we're going to explore that, um, and I think it'll be a really good thing because it will remind us what it is that Jesus is actually about in us if it transcends just mere religiousness. So we'll start that, and that'll go all uh, through the fall. Uh, I want to let you know, too, um, that Tim... And the team that's here and all the volunteers that are here are working hard to accommodate people. Um, we're going to be doing all sorts of things. We're adding children's rooms and we're going to uh, turn that into an overflow room and we'll have to add services at some point in the fall. And so, um, so if, you, if you're going to keep coming, um, uh, uh, please do that and then be squished for a couple of weeks while we figure it out and try to keep up with whatever God's doing. So I want to let you know, there, there's this whole crew of moms out like out there that has this little bitty TV. And so we're just we're going to be trying to do whatever we can to accommodate what God's doing. So that's coming. This morning, though, I want to pray for teachers. So we got any teachers here? All right, stand up. If you're a teacher, if you're a professor, stand up. Stand up. And we're going to do more than clap for you. Stay standing. All right. So uh, we do this thing where we extend a hand towards somebody. If if you're new to church, Jesus, or whatever, and you don't like extending the hand, don't. We will not be keeping track of extended hands. But it, it's an Old Testament sign of blessing or being with somebody. So would you do this? If you're comfortable with it, uh, would you just extend a hand towards someone around you? And we're just going to pray because... There are many reasons why this is the best time of the year. The most important of which is it's football season. And a close second to that is that all the school kicks in. So all the parents who've had kids home for summer break go hallelujah for school. So let's pray for these men and women. Father God, uh, we thank you for these folks. We thank you for these brothers and sisters. We know some work in very hostile environments to the things of Christ. We know some Um, work in environments where um, they're allowed to freely share. Regardless, God, we pray favor and blessing. We pray grace and patience. And we pray, God, that they would see themselves as subversive missionaries, helping to form and shape people to understand what is good and what is right and what is beautiful. I pray that they would see their service as an act of worship to you, filled with your Holy Spirit, that they might be bold where boldness is called for, and they might be loving where loving is called for. But most of all, Lord Jesus, they would do this unto you, that you might receive the glory, because everything that's true is of you, whether it's in math or in science or in theology. And so we commend them to you as your servants of good in this world. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. Genesis chapter 28. Yes, and then football season. Oops, that's so fun. Now, now, brothers and sisters, if you're new, like you know, we did the blind date thing, so now we're on our second date, right? Blind date was last week. This is our second date, so I'm gonna share a little bit more. I have three passions in my life. Okay? I just want you to know, besides my family and Jesus. Okay, Pearl Jam. And if, you're, and if you're going, is that some sort of jelly? Oh, no. Number two, the original Star Wars trilogy, which has defined my entire life as part of the Jedi Council. And number three, the Ohio State Buckeyes. Now, if, we, if we're going to get along, you have to, yep, give me this. That's two-year bowl ban, bro. Two-year bowl ban, right there. Genesis 28, here we go. We'll start in verse 10. Okay, now if you date me a third time, then, um, yeah, this is the Trojans thing they do, and they're banned for bulls for two years. And so that's, I'm subverting that. Genesis chapter 28, verse 10. We meet a man named Jacob. Jacob is on the run because he's defrauded his brother Esau out of his birthright, and back in the ancient Near East, this was a big deal. Your birthright was the lion's share of an inheritance. All sorts of things attached with being the older brother. Jacob as the younger brother, swindles his older brother out of it, and now he's on the run. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, and I always find it funny that it just says when he reached a certain place, either tell us what the place is or don't even mention it. You could just say when he stopped for the night. But it says, when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night. Oh, I guess it does say that. Because the sun had set, taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and he lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to the heavens, and angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Now, this is a promise that God had made originally to Abraham that was reaffirmed to Isaac and now reaffirmed to Jacob. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. You will spread out to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Now, jump down to verse 16. When Jacob awoke from his sleep... He thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid, and he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Now, anytime you get a dream that explicitly, it's a big deal. But Jacob's reaction to, I had no idea that God was here, is the key to this story. When the Bible, there's nothing random in it. So when the Scriptures say, when he reached a certain place, that that is the clue that says there was nothing special about the place where Jacob was resting. Back in the ancient Near East, gods were tied to uh, geography. So you'd have a god of this city, a god of this field, a god of this river, a god of, of this locale. And it was thought that the God only had power in the place where that God was. So when the Bible says Jacob reached a certain place, that's a Jewish way of saying he reached a place where there was nothing significant. He reached a place that had no religious importance. He reached a place that wasn't connected to a deity. So the God of Israel is the God of Israel, right? But he wasn't the God of Israel back then. He was the God of this little family and this little region. And so Jacob's on the run and he's at a certain place, a place with no religious significance, a place where the God of Israel didn't have power. And that's the reason he's so surprised when he wakes up and he says, surely God was in this place and I had no idea It was the fact that God met him at an ordinary place, not a religious place, not a liturgical place, not a place of sacrifice, not an altar, an average place. And you're going, okay, well, thanks for over-making that point. I got it. He wakes up and he says, God was in this place I had no idea. How much of modern Christianity makes the same distinction? God's in the religious places... God is in uh, the church places. God is when I'm I'm doing something spiritual. And the God of the Scriptures is a God who meets people in ordinary places. He surprises us because He doesn't just appear in the religious places or in the important places or the places that you normally associate with where God should be. Right? And this idea of waking up to the God who's already there becomes central to Jewish spirituality. One of the gifts that the Jews gave the world, of course, is that there's one God. The second gift close behind that is that this one God isn't limited to geography. This one God is everywhere, filling everything so that we could say the heavens declares glory. For our purposes, though, The idea that God can meet you in ordinary places, for some of you, it's like, well, of course. But for others of us, that's a huge deal. That God can meet us in certain places, ordinary places. Our cars, our bikes, the carpool, at work, mowing the yard. If any of you mow the yard, He can meet us anywhere. Go if you would to Exodus chapter 3. So this nation promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob soon, soon... within several hundred years, find themselves enslaved to Egypt. They're crying out to God for deliverance. God sends them a very reluctant deliverer in the person of Moses. And Moses, this is such a fascinating story, in Exodus chapter 3, Moses has an interesting resume. 40 years born and raised in Pharaoh's court, and then 40 years tending sheep in the wilderness for his father-in-law. And it's ironic because the next 40 years are going to be spent leading the nation of Israel through the same wilderness that he'd been leading sheep through. But Moses, he'd been so kind of humbled by life circumstance that he wasn't entirely jazzed that God was picking him. And they get into this interesting discussion, but I want you to notice first how God appears to him. Verse 1, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, The priest of Midian. Midian wasn't big. Rocky, dry, arid. The priest of Midian won. And he led his flock to the far side of the desert and came to Oreb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that... (laughs) He saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, God called him from within the bush and said, Moses, Moses, Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is what? Holy ground. For 40 years, Moses had been kind of wandering around this same wilderness. Guarantee, I guarantee you, he'd passed this bush before. He'd passed it before. It hadn't always been on fire, right? He would have noticed before then, I'm sure. But Moses, to what, to Moses, the bush prior to it being filled with the presence of the living God was just like one of a million bushes. Nothing significant, nothing big, an ordinary place, right? A certain place. Now, all of a sudden, God is appearing to him from within the bush. It's on fire, not burning up. He goes to check it out. And what's God say? The ground that you thought was just common ground is now what? Holy ground. Now, what's so interesting is that of all the things to appear for God to use to appear to Moses in and through just a bush like He could have been an angel. He could have written it across the sky. He could have appeared in a thousand different... But we're just going to set a bush on fire. And then just have it like... And what I find so interesting is that there's so much in modern Christianity that separates the sacred and the secular. Or people will say to me, Hey, how long have you been in ministry? And I'll say, Since I started walking with Jesus. there's There's this... thing that says, hey, there are those who work for a church and they're in ministry and then there's the rest of you. That's not biblical. Do you understand you have real jobs and the rest of us, you know, just kind of, no, we have real jobs too. And do you understand how hard it is to miss football every Sunday? Do you understand? That's a sacrifice. Now, biblically, there is no such thing As Christians who aren't ministers. Paul writes this in Ephesians 4. The work of some gifted people in the body is to equip other people in the body who have gifts for the work of ministry. Biblically, who are the ministers of the church? Look around. Welcome. You are priests. You are ministers. You are ambassadors. We want to keep saying, hey, we go to church. Nope. Church is never a place, ever. It's a people who gather in a converted theater. This isn't the church. This is the church. Who are the ministers? Not just the people paid by the church. It's everybody. We think that there are religious parts of our lives and then there are unreligious parts of our lives. And the scripture keeps saying, no, 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 the whole thing is holy because God dwells in you. And he dwells everywhere else. The whole thing matters. There aren't places where he isn't already. Go to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Very familiar. As David reflects on God's everywhereness, these are the things he says. Verse 5. You hem me in. Behind and before. In other words, you surround me. You've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. And then he says this Where can I flee from your spirit? Where can I go from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I go to the depths, you're there. If I go to the wings of the dawn, you're there. If I settle on the far side of the sea, you're there. Verse 11, if I say the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, well, even then the darkness will not be dark to you. How often have you ever heard the phrase, God showed up? Ascribed to like a worship gathering. Have you ever heard that phrase? It was, the worship was incredible. God really showed up. As if he were Elsewhere. And was so moved by my clapping, he could not help but see what is this sight? Mike Erie clapping! I can't believe it. Biblically, did God show up? Who showed up? We did. Was God already there? Was He already at work? Who showed up? We did. Or, or we'll say, and I say this stuff too. We'll pray. Uh, we'll be praying about somebody in trouble. We'll say, God, be with them. I would imagine the Almighty's going, Yeah, check. That's like praying for me to exist. Got it. Covered. I'm in. I'm with them already. Or you, have you ever heard of missionaries who say, We're going to take Jesus to this unreached people group? And you're like, Really? The Logos? The all-existent creator God of the universe isn't there already, has been waiting for generations for you to go and take Him? Who shows up? See, I'm convinced that so many of us, and I'm at the top of this, just have it backwards. We... And we'd never say it this way, but we attach significance to buildings and to programs and to certain practices. And those things are spiritual. And then there's the rest of our lives. You'll read about the spiritual disciplines, right? Prayer and Bible study. I tell you how you drive is a spiritual discipline, at least in Southern California. How you treat your spouse when you're angry. Whether or not you cheat those are spiritual disciplines. It's fascinating. In the Old Testament, there's no Hebrew word for spiritual. Because that would imply that some things weren't. And so you just get all throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. Yep, here I am. I'm at a certain place. I'm on the run. The God of Israel's is back there. And all of a sudden I meet Him at a non-religious place, and I'm shocked that he was present, and I had no idea. Or Moses, just cruising around for 40 years, the same bush, the same bush. Have I hurt your feelings? Now listen, all you coffee drinkers. Exodus chapter three, all of a sudden the place where he has been walking for years is now what? Holy ground. Or David, God, where can I escape you? So who shows up? And I know what we mean, but we have to keep battering at the idea that somehow God is in this little box in my life. It's like, Jesus, yep, I invite you to take my sin. Yep, Jesus, I invite you to take my praise. No, He wants the whole thing. Your work, your play, your rest, your relationships. The whole thing is sacred to Him. Now, are there times of specific, intentional, like, passionate devotion to Him? Sure. But I've heard people say, yeah, I'm going to have my time with God this morning. And, I mean... It's like saying I'm going to have time with air. When are you not when are you not exactly having time with God? Right? Is it just hello? Is it just me? Are you out there? Right? There's this sense where we just have the he's blocked into this location, or he's blocked into this practice, or he's blocked into this little bit. And the God of of the Scriptures just continually says, no, no, I want the whole thing. Go to John chapter 5. Jesus, one of the things I love about Him is He gets into so much trouble. And like we were saying, it's with religious folks. And the religious folks, they started out with great hearts, as all of us do. There were ten big commandments given. One of them was do no work on the Sabbath. And put to death people who do work on the Sabbath. Okay, so it's kind of a big deal. But what's the natural question? What counts as work on the Sabbath? Right? I mean, if I'm going to be put to death, I'd like like some clarity on what exactly I'm supposed to be not doing. And so the rabbi said, good, let's clarify it. They came up with 39 different categories of work. that were all based on the building of the temple some of them got a little bit ridiculous over the course of generations. So you, they, they said you couldn't carry a burden. That constituted work. Well, what's a burden? Well, they said you could carry enough milk for one swallow. If you carried milk enough for two swallows, I'm not making this up, it was considered a burden. Ink enough to write one Hebrew letter. Ink for two Hebrew letters or more, was considered a burden. You were not allowed to heal on the Sabbath unless somebody's life was in danger. Jesus shows up and He says, you've missed the point. The Sabbath was actually a gift to you and you've now made it a burden. And He starts healing people whose life wasn't in danger. That's why it's so significant. You see it all throughout the Gospels. There's a man with a withered hand and Jesus heals him. There's a woman who'd had a blood issue. Jesus heals her. The issue was, He did it purposefully on the Sabbath, and their lives weren't in jeopardy. And then He rebukes the religious folks for getting all uptight about Him setting people free. So here's His defense. John chapter 5, verse 16. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted Him. Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. So let me ask you a question. You're on an airplane somewhere. Is God at work in the lives of the people around you? Does he love the people around you more than you could possibly ever imagine? Do you have to ask God to do something to the people around you, or is He already at work? You don't have to run out, but yes, I am going to say something. And you know, I'm just teasing. I mean, there, there's only 10% of my heart that's really angry right now. It's okay. <laughs> someday I'm going to have to run out and it will just be awful. You guys will just mock me like crazy. Now we have this idea that God, here's what I'm doing today. Would you bless it? The Bible has this idea that God's already at work and the question needs to be instead, God, what are you already doing? Cause I went in on that. See, the message of Jesus for most Americans is add Jesus to your already overcrowded life. The message of the gospel is Jesus is doing this epic thing in the world. And he's looking for willing, cooperative participants. And that's the invitation for you. So tomorrow, yes, we have time in prayer. We have time in the scriptures. Absolutely, all that matters. But it doesn't end when we shut the Bible. It doesn't end when we walk out the doors. This is, this is a staff meeting of all the ministers and ambassadors of Mariner's Mission Viejo. Welcome. The Bible says you have the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead. And that's really all that you need. <laughs> you have the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the community of God. So guess what? Who are the missionaries? You are. Who are the priests? You are. This is all biblical New Testament stuff. And Why? Because God's always at work. So your job isn't to take Jesus anywhere. Your job is to figure out what Jesus is already up to. And say, Jesus, can I get in on it? See, for me, it's a completely different way of understanding it. The reason you do the prayer and the worship and the Bible study is to learn His voice. Because I think He's always talking. Always guiding. Always prompting. And so, literally, God is looking for people who will wake up to realize there are burning, burning bushes all around us all the time. But we're usually, I've got to return a call. <laughs> and, and I'm this way. Like this is for me. I, I just get to share what God teaches me. And then hopefully it's relevant to you too. So some of you have heard this story. But this, when I was learning this, this was so impressed upon me. My wife and I were flying from the great state of Ohio back to Southern California via Houston, Texas. Makes perfect sense. We had two children at the time. Hannah was very, very little. Nate was three, four, two, one of those. We were delayed coming out of Ohio because of the sheer greatness of the state. And so we arrived in Houston late. And we had... And my wife, my wife can attest to these truths. We had a mile to go. I asked the lady as we were landing. We had, the, the gate was a mile away. And we had 10 minutes to get there before our flight was going to depart. And uh, our flight was the last flight out of Houston to Orange County. So, you know, we did not want to stay the night with two little kids, no luggage and whatever. So I start taking off of my little Nate. Though I display gazelle-like speed at times in my life, you know, about 50 yards in, I'm just going, oh my goodness, we're dead. We need a hotel. My wife commandeers one of the beep, 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 beep things, and we make it. As literally we're getting in, and Jesus Jesus is an outside voice and an inside voice when he talks to me. Do you, you parents know. Thank you. That was horribly loud. Matt Alexander... Yep. And by the way, was, was Tim bragging to you about his fantasy football team? It's awful. It is really, really bad. And I'm sure there'll be more talk about that later. And if you don't know what fantasy football is, it is a way that grown men waste lots of time. To which all the wives say, oh, really? There's just one way? I thought there were an infinite number of ways back to the airport we're getting on the plane jesus now an inside voice for jesus is the gentle quiet spirit right the gentle still small voice right he never uses that with me i don't respond well to still small voices two by fours to the you know cranium is what i best respond to so loudly so that i hear it and not in any weird fuzzy you know external sort of way god says hey i've got something for you to do on this plane and I said, yes, get us home. Thank you very much. We get we get on this plane. And uh, an hour and a half in the flight, I know some of you have heard this, but it's still the most staggering thing to me. We hear this wailing and, and groaning and just this awful sound coming from uh, behind us. And I turn around, and it, it turns out it's a 10-year-old kid, we didn't know that at the time, who was kicking and punching a woman next to him. I mean, literally just going and and I'm reading a book. Is this going on? I'm like, all right, Jesus, do something. All right? Help us. Because, you know, after nine eleven, I mean, anything weird on a plane, the whole thing just goes, wow. I'm reading, why don't you go help them? No, thanks. Not interested. Why don't you go help them? No, thanks. Not interested. Outside voice. Two by four to the cranium. Go help them. I go walk over and I put my hand. Now the woman is laying on top of the struggling kid. I put my hand on her shoulder and she looks at me with these eyes that are just like horribly ashamed and embarrassed and humiliated. I mean, just you can just imagine. As it turns out, this little guy's autistic. And he's trying to climb over two seats to get to the exit door because he wants off the plane. Okay, well, I know autism. We've had some wrestles with that in our family. So I go get my little bag of tricks. I got movies. I got this. I got that. Nothing works. The kid's going berserk. Jesus says, pray. Why don't you just pray for him? Really? Come on. I mean, the whole plane's watching me do this. Put my hand on her shoulder. Dear Jesus, do something. There was no faith. There was no in Jesus' name. It was like, okay. Dear Jesus, do something. And my wife can tell you, with that, like mustard seed would even be too big to describe the amount of heart I put into that thing. That all of a sudden, and there's this Old Testament concept of shalom. We translate it peace, but it's wholeness and it's fullness and it's just it's the integration of everything God intended. And that is the only word that I have to describe what filled that plane instantly. Mom, relaxed. Kid, relaxed. The terror fled. The whole atmosphere of the plane changed. And I walk back, just so you'll tell you, I walk back to the seat and I just start sobbing. Why? Why? Because he was in that place, and I had no idea. All of a sudden, 30,000 feet, that became holy ground. Now, that's on the spectacular side, right? That, that doesn't happen all the time. But don't you think there are little bitty things all around you like that? Words of blessing? This isn't about being a nice person, by the way. Although, that'd be a start, right? Like, meet your neighbors, bless people, be encouraging at work. Like we could start with that and work our way up. So I'm at the pool. I have fascinating conversations at the pool. I'm horribly gregarious at the pool. So I have this conversation with this Orthodox Jewish man that I'll tell you about someday. It was phenomenal. I'm in Irvana, right? Irvine. So we have pools everywhere. (laughs) That's what we call it. Irvana. And and, and, and there's this woman there, and I've seen her many times. She's, she's obviously Muslim. She has the whole burqa on, and she has this full-body swimsuit. Like, her feet are showing, and her hands are showing and her face, and that's it. It's this material that can get wet. But, you know, we're all splashing around, and it's hot, and you can tell she's very, very uncomfortable. I mean, obviously, not just physically, but just like socially in that moment. My kids and I are splashing around playing football uh, in the waiter pool, which I don't recommend, right? Foot and a half, yours truly diving around. It's like watching Shamu, you know, or something like that. It's pretty funny. And, and, and this mom is sitting there playing with her little kid. And the kid, you can tell the kid is loving whatever we're doing because we have this football we're throwing around. So we're going to go over to the other pool. And, and this is so dumb. I'm trying to show a dumb one. But I'm like, okay, the little kid's loving it. So, so Jesus, very gently, hey, why don't you give the kid the ball? Awesome. Give the kid the ball. She and he begin to play catch, and they light up. And as we're walking out, I just say to my boy, hey, just tell them they can keep it. It's no big deal. We leave. End of story. That's nothing, right? That just is like being nice. That's nothing. That's not sharing the gospel. She didn't come to Jesus in that moment. Why? Why does that sort of thing matter? Did I do it for her? Did I do it for her? Nope. Who did I do it for? Me. Why? Because I've never I I've never seen her and had my heart go out to her just as a person. And it was just a dumb little way to say I, I don't know. I don't know how to engage in a conversation with you. But Here's a ball. <laughs> and you know what? I wonder. I just wonder about the dinner conversation that, that went on. And again, I could be inventing something. Maybe nothing happened. I give you that dumb story. And it's dumb. If you're sitting going, it's dumb. I know it's dumb. I'm telling you it's dumb. So don't judge me for it being dumb. I know. It's <laughs> dumb. But it serves as a counterpoint to like the epic Shalom-filled airplane, right? I'm convinced that there are those dumb, little, ordinary nooks and crannies that are in your life if you'd only have eyes to see. So what's the point this morning? See, what was, what was Kim's story about? Kim's story was about waking up. Her story isn't about, hey, here's this great program, and, you know, I did it, and my life changed. Well, God uses programs, hallelujah. See, the whole point of Rooted, and Justin and I are going to go through it this fall, is to wake up. To your gifts, your ministry. Tomorrow, you have a ministry. And you're a minister. And this is a staff meeting. And we want to get good at listening to the God who's always at work. See, we just want to blast any sense that God only does this or is here or loves me when I do this. It's so much bigger than that. The gospel isn't cramming Jesus into your life. The gospel is about your little life being swept up into this epic thing he's doing already, all around you. So what's it look like to be a physical therapist, hypothetically, Roger, (laughs) and wake up to the God who's already at work? Teachers, does God love your students more than you will? Yep. Is he already at work in the lives of your students? Yep. So do you have to beg God to be at work? No, he's always working. What we beg God to do is to show us what he's doing so we could join him in it. So would you do this? Uh, would you close your eyes? Because we know God does his best work, right? When our eyes are closed, right? If you're new to church, you need to know that. So when a church, what they'll do is they'll turn the lights down. See, it's happening. That means God is here. They'll play some very soft music. That just means God is really here. This is true unless you're driving, and then you need to keep an eye open. But here's what I want you to do. Would you just for a moment pray two things? Number one, would you pray, God, wake me up? to what you're doing. And then two, ask him, like, what are the burning bushes? What's, what's the letter that needs to be written to reconcile with somebody? What's the gaping open hole for the gospel? <laughs> They've asked you, well, what are you, what's different about you? What's Like, what are the burning bushes all around you? And, and let's just take a moment to pay attention. And so, Father, help us from believing the lie that somehow uh, you don't, that, that you quit speaking once we close our Bibles. Help us to, to fight against the lie that says you only move in religious places or doing religious things. Holy Spirit, come, wake us up. And we do pray from the mundane to the extraordinary that you would wake us up to the things you're already doing. Thank you, Jesus, that you're always at work. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Mariners Church, Mission Viejo Campus. For more information about Mariners, visit www.marinerschurch.org.